Well, let me say uh, officially, good morning. Merry Christmas. Merry Christmas, LifePoint family. It's a joy to be with you uh, this morning. Appreciate you being here at the 8 a.m. Guests, if it is your first time here at LifePoint, we're, we're glad that you are here. Let me say welcome to you. My name's Cale. I'm the teaching pastor here at the Delaware campus, and uh, we've got a resource for you guests. We always say this to our first-time guests on the QR codes in front of you, on the chairs in front of you, is uh, just a QR code. It'll take you to lpguest.com, or you can just type in lpguest.com on a browser, but that's got the message notes for you this morning, so all the passages that'll be on the screens, all the notes that'll be on the screens. If you have the LifePoint Ohio app, you've got all this already but all of that will be there at lpguest.com for you guests. And also, uh, there, there's a guest information card. If you wouldn't mind, sometime throughout our morning together, just taking the minute and a half to two minutes it takes to fill that out, we would love to be able to connect with you before you leave. And when you do leave today, uh, if you are, again, a first-time guest, there's a guest bag that our connections team has for you. It's got some great info in there, some resources for you. So please grab one of those on your way out in the lobby there at the guest central uh, table. Uh, secondly, just um, if you did not get a candle when you walked in, so if you didn't get a personal candle, go ahead and just raise your hand up high, right? Don't be ashamed. Raise it up high, and our connections team will be by to get you those candles um, here in just a moment. So uh, as they are coming around and you've got your hand up, let me just explain. At the end of our time together today, uh, we'll take a moment and we'll have uh, just a, a candle lit moment, and it's a beautiful, I think, symbolism. We'll light it out of the Christ candle or pass it to the connections team, and the connections team will come around and light sort of the, person, the person's candle at the end of the each uh, row, and we'll pass that then to each other. And it's a beautiful moment to celebrate how the gospel spreads. Christ comes in and changes a heart, and then we pass that to someone else. We share the gospel from person to person to person. Uh, but a very important reminder, the candle that is lit does not lean, okay? The candle that is lit, let the unlit candle lean towards you, or you will pour hot wax on the person next to you, which will not be awesome for anyone. And so make sure, right, once yours is lit, you keep it nice and steady and straight. Well, we've been in this series that we've been calling Love's Pure Light in this Advent season. And Advent, we've said each week, means in Latin the coming or the arrival. So we're looking back and celebrating the first coming of Christ, even as we look forward to the second coming and to looking with hope when he comes back and he makes all things new. And as we've been in this series and we've been talking about hope and joy and peace and today this concept of faith and how Christ is the source of all of these things. We've actually been looking at it at a maybe different passage than normally at Christmas time at Colossians chapter 1. Paul, if you have a Bible, by the way, you can turn there to Colossians 1, but it'll be on the screens for you as well. In Colossians 1, the Apostle Paul is speaking to this young church, and this church was started by actually a compatriot of Paul's, a disciple of Paul's, who went there, started this church, and the church is growing, and it's healthy in many ways, but also they're being confronted with some false teaching, and we don't know the exact nature of what the teaching was, but it seems like it was devaluing the person and the work of Jesus, saying, hey, Jesus is great, but you need more. If you really want to, you need a, a secret or a deeper knowledge, you need to not eat these things and eat those things and don't do that and observe this particular type of day. And, and the Apostle Paul is writing to the Colossians to combat that, and he says, absolutely not. No devaluing of the person of Jesus. Jesus is the foundation on which we build this faith, and we don't progress past him. We just go deeper into knowing him. We build our Christian life on him and on him 
alone. And so that's why we read last week Colossians 1, verses 15 through 20, where the Apostle Paul says, Jesus is supreme in all things, and to him are all things, and through him are all things, and for him are all things. It's one of the most beautiful and powerful passages in all the Bible on the person and work and supremacy of Christ. Today, I'm going to pick up in verse 19. We're going to read just two verses we read last week, but then we're going to really hit 21 and 22 and part of 23, and we'll study our way through. Colossians 1, 19 says this. Paul says, for in him, in Jesus, all the fullness of God was pleased to dwell. Christmas time, we're celebrating that Christ was born, and he's not just a normal baby, not even just a good person. He's, he's the God-man. He's fully man and fully God. All the fullness of God was pleased to dwell. And through him, to reconcile to himself all things, whether on earth or in heaven, making peace by the blood of his cross. Some theologians call this the, the cosmic effects of the cross, the cosmic effects of Jesus' coming, that he is bringing redemption to the whole creation. We looked at that in our study on Revelation a few months ago, that when Jesus comes back, he says, behold, I'm making all things new. Now, in verse 21, Paul moves on pretty quickly from the cosmic effects of Jesus' coming to the personal effects. What does it do in your life and in mine? What's it done in the Colossians? What is his coming and his cross done? And he says this, verse 21, and you who once were alienated and hostile in mind, doing evil deeds. So this is really interesting. Paul's actually trying to build up their faith and encourage them, but where he starts is by saying, let me remind you, Colossians, of actually your spiritual state and the terrible nature of it apart from Christ. And as difficult as it is for our modern ears to hear this and embrace it, we need to, because what Paul is saying about the Colossians is true of you and it's true of me as well. Something I'll say multiple times this morning, the gospel's really good news. It's really, really, really good news. But first, you have to be willing to sort of accept and embrace the difficult news. If you understand that you're lost, rescue becomes a big deal. If you think, I'm doing pretty well, rescue doesn't seem all that significant. But when someone helps you to see that, no, you are walking right on the cliff's edge, about to fall off and then someone comes and rescues you, you appreciate that rescue all the more because you recognize the dire nature of your situation. That's what the Apostle Paul is trying to do here. He's trying to say, Colossians, understand what you were. You and me, understand who and what you were apart from Jesus. He says this though, right? This is the way you were, but now, verse 22, he has now reconciled in his body of flesh by his death. God has reconciled you through Christ, specifically through his death, <clears throat> in order to present you holy and blameless and above reproach before him, if indeed you continue in the faith, stable and steadfast, not shifting from the hope of the gospel that you heard. Let's remember that statement there, not shifting. The, the context here is that people are coming in saying, man, you need more than Jesus. He's not enough for you. He's not enough to wash you and make you clean and make you new. You need more. And he says, no, 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 right? Don't shift from the foundation. This is the foundation. Christ is enough. Not shifting from the gospel, the hope of the gospel that you heard, which has been proclaimed in all creation under heaven, and of which I, Paul, became a minister. All right, we're going to look just sort of verse by verse here. We're starting in verse 21. 
And I said, right, so the gospel, what Christ has done for us is really good news. But before we can fully appreciate the good news, we have to understand, okay, what was my spiritual condition apart from Jesus? In fact, um, maybe you're here today. Maybe you're here this morning and somebody invited you and you're asking that question or questions like, is there a God? And if there is a God, what's my relationship to him? (laughs) If there is a God, are he and I good? To maybe put it this way, I'd, I'd like you to think about this question. Without Jesus, what is my relationship to God? Apart from Christ, what's my relationship to the God who has created me? And once again, I've got really good news for you, but the bad news comes first. Apart from Jesus, no, you and I are not good with God. There is a God. We are accountable to him, but apart from Christ, our relationship with him is fractured. In fact, the word that Paul uses there, just note, again, he's trying to build the Colossians up and get them firm and steadfast in their faith, but he starts by saying, hey, you need to recognize that before Jesus and apart from a relationship with Christ, you were alienated. That's the word he uses, alienated. That word means, means to be estranged from someone. When you say that you're estranged, I have an estranged daughter or an estranged son or I have an estranged friend or an estranged parent. What do you mean by that? You mean we don't talk anymore? (laughs) There's supposed to be a relationship here, but it's fractured. It's broken. And the Apostle Paul says that's the nature of our relationship with God, or lack thereof, apart from Jesus. It goes all the way back to the garden. When Adam and Eve, our first parents, turned from the Lord and disobeyed Him, they lost not only their innocence, but they lost their intimacy with God. They lost that relationship with God. And it's, it's been true ever since of the human race, walking in rebellion against him and our relationship fractured because of that. Now, uh, just frankly, I think when, again, modern ears here, living in rebellion against God, we go, I don't, I don't feel like I'm in rebellion against God. I mean, I understand I'm not really perfect, but rebellion's a strong word. And here's what I would say to that. Part of the value of reading the Bible is that you get an understanding of, okay, if this God exists, what does he say? And what does he, if he created me and I'm accountable to him, what does he expect of me? What does he, what does he call of me? What does he say of me? What did he create me for? And the answer, it's glorious and wonderful. And it's also something we fall very short of. He says, you were created in his image. I was created in his image and we were made for him. And we are made to live our lives as a living sacrifice back to him. And the way Jesus summarized all of it when people came to him and said, what do we have to do in order to be right with God? He says, love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength and love your neighbor as yourself. All of the law is wrapped up in those two things. Love God with all that you are and love your neighbor as yourself. Do any of us seriously think we wake up each day and say, man, I just love God with all that I am. Every day I wake up going, I am ready to love God with all of my heart, soul, mind, and strength. And I always completely love my neighbor as selflessly as I would love myself. I don't know about you. Well, I, I do know about you because the scriptures say it, but I can say I see it in myself, in my own experience, I fall miserably short of that. You do as well. We willfully choose to disobey the Lord, put ourselves first and not Him. We fall short of the glory of God and we do live in rebellion against Him, which leads us, I think, to then say, well, why can't we just apologize and make up? (laughs) Why can't we just say like, 
sorry, God, right? And he's like, ah, it's all good. Well, in a sense, we, we can apologize and be reconciled. That's what Paul's telling us, but not without Jesus. The coming of Christ, his birth, his life, his death, his resurrection, they form the most important moment in the history of the world, and it's necessary for us to be made right with God. I'll give you, I'll give you two reasons why we can't just say, hey, sorry, God, and God goes, ha, it's all right. One, that wouldn't be right. It wouldn't be just. Think about it. If all of us came to God and just said, hey, my bad, <laughs> and he said, hey, that's all right. I know you didn't mean to murder that person. I know you didn't mean to gossip about that friend or to cheat on that test. I know you didn't mean to lie on your taxes or blow up in anger at your kids. I know you didn't mean to, etc. Cetera, et cetera. If I kept going, to be honest, I think one of two things would happen. We would all get really uncomfortable because we, we don't like being put face to face with the depth of our sinfulness. If I just kept naming all the sins of human beings that we commit against one another or against God, I think most of us would just leave because we would say, man, this is getting really uncomfortable. Or we would hear it and we would think about the world and all the injustice we see in the world and something inside of us would stir up and say, justice, we need justice. Where are you, God? In fact, I imagine probably both would happen at the same time. There would be a real sense of, man, I know that's me. And God, will you do something about this? Which leads us to the, I think, the toughest question. How can God be merciful and just? How can God be completely just and actually punish sin and make things right and at the same time be merciful to sinners like you and me? And Paul tells us, right, the answer is the cross of Christ. And he says it there in verse 21 and 22. And you, who once were alienated and hostile in mind, doing evil deeds, how does he reconcile us? <laughs> He's reconciled us in his body of flesh by his death. When Jesus died on the cross, he wasn't dying for the wrongs he had done because he hadn't done anything wrong. He was dying for the wrongs that you and I had done. In love, dying for you and for me, which is, this is so good. If, if you're here today and you think, man, I, I think Jesus is a great example. I want you to take a moment and think about that. Jesus, if he is just a good example, he is going to crush you. How can you live up to the example of Jesus? You're going to be constantly looking at his example going, I, I just don't measure up. He blesses people when they persecute him. He loves people when they hate him. They spit him, mock on him, crucify him. And he's up there going, Father, forgive them for they know not what they do. I can't live up to that and neither can you. So praise God, he's so much more than an example. He's a substitute. Dying in your place and in mine. That's how he brought us peace. In fact, Paul says it a little differently, almost, almost the same way, but, but a little differently in Colossians 2, 13 and 4. Just a chapter later, look at these verses. Same sort of structure. He says, and you who were dead in your trespasses and the uncircumcision of your flesh. So here, instead of telling them, right, you were alienated, he says, you were also spiritually dead. And God made you alive. He made alive together with him, having forgiven us all our trespasses by canceling the record of debt. How did he do it? By canceling the record of debt that stood against us with its legal demands. This he set aside, nailing it to the cross. 
So at the cross, Christ took our sins, paid the price for us, taking what we deserved. This is how God can be both just and merciful. You say, how, where's the justice? Why doesn't he punish sin? And the answer is, he did. In the person and body of Christ at the cross, Jesus took what you and I deserved. How can he be merciful? <laughs> because the penalty is paid, he can look at you and I. And when we trust Jesus by faith, our sins are forgiven, nailed to the cross, the debt paid, canceled, and you and I are made alive together with Christ. God, both merciful and just at the same time. Now, I'd imagine some of you are thinking, that's amazing, Kale. And also, it's Christmas. Aren't we supposed to be talking about his birth? Why is death and the cross and the resurrection? Because I don't think you can separate those things. And I think one of, the, one of the best ways we can celebrate his birth is by looking at his coming, his birth, and then looking through it and asking the question, what was he born to do? Why did he come? And amazingly, almost unbelievably, if it weren't true, God stepped out of heaven in the form of Jesus' son, and Jesus was born to die, and then to rise again, that you and I might have new life in him. Jesus came, right? So we, we'll sing a verse of this song here in a moment, but hark the herald angels sing. There's a line in there that says this, mild he lays his glory by, born that man no more may die. Mild he lays his glory by, born that man no more may die. And the way that you and I no more may die is that Christ died in our place and rose again that we might have new life. When you're gathered around the Christmas tree this evening, tomorrow morning with your families, I hope you'll think about that. Christ came in the form of a baby. Mild he laid his glory by, born that man no more may die. So one... I told you, why can't we just say, sorry, God, right? It's all good. One, because it wouldn't be just. And two, because if what Paul is saying here is true, we need more than just a clean slate. We, don't, we need a new heart. <laughs> we need more than just forgiveness. We need to be changed and transformed. You don't see it all in Colossians 1, but it was too good not to, not to bring up. You think you see it in Colossians 2, and you see it all over the rest of the Bible. It, it's not just simply, hey, I forgive you, and, and then it's good. Paul goes on and says, we're not just alienated. He says, we're hostile in mind and doing evil deeds. I don't know about you, but if I'm forgiven, but I still do that, that doesn't help me. <laughs> I'm going to need more forgiveness in the future. Frankly, when I look at myself, when I look at the attitudes and tendencies of my heart, apart from a relationship with Jesus, I don't like what I see. Without Christ, I tend toward pride, self-centeredness, and always thinking that I'm right. Anyone else willing to admit those things, that that marks you? Maybe those aren't your particular besetting sins, but my guess is if you were to look honestly at your own heart and say, what do I see growing apart, apart from my relationship with Jesus? What do I see in myself? You'd see similar things. The reality is we need not just forgiveness, not just a clean slate. We need to be transformed from the inside out. That's what this guy named Nicodemus in the New Testament, super religious guy, followed all the rules as closely as you can follow them. 
Maybe you're here today and, and you're Nicodemus. You're going, I mean, I've done everything I can think of. I'm a, more, I'm a good person by the world's standards. And yet you've got this suspicion that, yeah, but there's got to be more. There's something I'm missing. Nicodemus came to Jesus and said, Jesus, how, how, how's this work? And Jesus looks at him and he says, look, if you want to see the kingdom of heaven, you have to be born again. John 3, verse 3. Jesus answered him, truly, truly, I say to you, Nicodemus, unless one is born again, he cannot see the kingdom of God. Nicodemus doesn't understand. He's like, I, how do I get back into my mother's womb, right? And Jesus says, no, we're, we're talking spiritually here. You need to be made new. You need to be not just forgiven. The old you has to die and a new you has to come to life in Christ. And look, I told you there's, there's hard news at first. Man, I was alienated. <laughs> Apart from Jesus, I'm alienated, hostile in mind, doing evil deeds. I need forgiveness. I need redemption. I need reconciliation with God. And I need to be made new. The good news of the gospel is that's exactly what you get in and because of Jesus. You are reconciled to God. You are forgiven because of the life, the birth, the life, the death, the resurrection of Jesus. You are forgiven. You are made new. Your debt is paid. Your sins canceled forever. And you are transformed and remade into the image of Christ. Christ's birth results, if I can say it that way, in your rebirth and your new birth. And you're changed, made new because of him. In fact, look back at verse 22. I love that Paul juxtaposes these two things. He says, first, you guys were alienated, you were hostile in mind, and you were doing evil deeds. But because of Jesus, what now? He's reconciled in his body of flesh by his death in order to present you holy and blameless and above reproach before him. So just note the symmetry there. He gave us three descriptions of our state apart from Christ and then three after. He says, man, you were alienated, you were hostile in mind, and you were doing evil deeds. And then because of Jesus, you're going to be presented before God, holy, blameless, and above reproach before him. This is so good, right? If you're here in Christ, if you're, if you're here right now and you're in Christ, these things describe your life. And if you're here right now and you don't know Jesus, this is what's being offered to you today. Holy. The word means pure or morally blameless. Can any of us honestly say, yeah, I feel just pure and morally blameless in my life. But that's what we are. Doesn't matter what we feel, that's what we are because of Jesus. Blameless, it means faultless, without blemish or spot. Incredibly, it's the same language that's used to describe the life and work and person of Jesus himself. When you trust Jesus, not only are your sins canceled, but his perfect spotlessness is given to you. That's the way the Father sees you now. Holy, blameless, and above reproach. That means you can't be called to account. You cannot be condemned. You say, why? Because Jesus was already condemned in your place. The verdict was already given, the punishment already taken. And just like in our legal system, you cannot be tried for the same crime twice. The crimes have already been, all of our crimes against God have already been tried. The, the verdict given, guilty, but the punishment taken. Jesus has paid for it once and for all. So you and I are forever free and forgiven. We've been declared righteous and our sins canceled. 
And so just, just think about it. Alienated, hostile in mind, doing evil deeds, now blameless, pure, holy, above reproach. And in between, the difference maker is Jesus Christ. His birth, his life, his death, and his resurrection. And then note those two glorious words at the end, to present you holy and blameless and above reproach before him. One author and pastor I was just listening to on this passage just pointed out, he said, just note that the goal of the gospel, God sending Christ to rescue you, is to present you before him. In other words, that you might be with him. God came down to us so that we can be with him. God came down to us so that we can be with him. The end goal here is that he presents us before him and we get to be with him and he with us forever. That's why we say, right, Jesus, our Emmanuel, meaning God with us. This is incredible. God actually wants a relationship with you. And if you're here today and all you've ever heard of Christianity is it's a religion that basically tells you to do a bunch of things that you can't ever possibly do. It's a list of rules do's and don'ts that you can't possibly live up to, or it's all about this God who's kind of angry at you and you've got to do some things to appease him. I want, I want you to hear the gospel in its entirety, in its fullness. Yes, you are a sinner. And yes, there is a savior. And God sent Jesus in love. He desires that you turn from your sin and you trust him by faith. And by faith, receive the grace that he offers you. He wants a relationship with you. That's why he came down, became one of us, lived among us, and died and rose again that we might have new life in him, be reconciled to him, and forever enjoy perfect relationship with him. God wants that. He wants you in his family. And that's where I want to close this out. I mentioned, right, by faith, you receive all of that. By faith, you receive. Faith is the candle that we lit today, and it's how, it's how we receive what Christ has done for us. Christianity is the only religion I know of where the ultimate focus and emphasis is not on what you need to do or what I need to do in order to be right with God or to be saved or to be enlightened, but the emphasis is on what God has done in order to bring us back. The emphasis on, is on what Jesus has already finished, already accomplished. And one old author and theologian said it so beautifully. He said, look, our salvation, it is accomplished by Christ, but it's applied through faith. It's already finished. There's, there's no, if you say, what do I need to do? It's already done. Jesus declared at the cross, it's finished. The full payment already given but it's applied to your life personally through faith. Grace is poured out on your life. The love of God poured out into your life. You are reconciled to God by what he has done, 
But you do have to receive that into your life. It's applied to you personally when you say, yes, I recognize who Jesus is. I recognize that I was alienated and hostile in mind and doing evil deeds. And I can't fix myself. I need a Savior. It is applied to your life when you look at that baby in the manger and you recognize who he is and what he came to do. And you say, I want that. <laughs> I want him for me. Lord Jesus, will you save me? Already accomplished by Christ, applied to your life through faith. It's partly why Paul in verse 22 and 23, he says, look, you've been reconciled in his body of flesh by his death in order to present you holy and blameless and above reproach before him. If indeed you continue in the faith, stable and steadfast, not shifting from the hope of the gospel that you heard. I don't think, you know, some folks, we, we circle that if there and go, what does he mean if? <laughs> The, the language that Paul uses there indicates he fully believes that the Colossians are going to continue in the faith. So I don't, I don't think Paul is saying if in the sense of, you know, I don't know. You should probably live each day in fear of whether you're saved or not. I don't think that's what Paul means. Paul's the same guy in Romans 5 who says we've been justified by faith. You don't get unjustified. He says, man, you've been born again to a living hope. You don't get unborn again to a living hope. I think, I think when you trust Christ, God seals that. He has the power to save us and to keep us and to sustain us. What I think Paul is saying here is, remember the context. Don't shift away from the hope that you have. There's no hope in anyone else. There's no hope in another gospel. There is no other gospel. No, no, no. You, you have trusted Christ. You keep trusting him. Keep trusting him daily for all that you need. Abide in him and you'll bear much fruit. Continue in the faith. Don't listen to anyone or anything else that says, no, 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 no. I mean, Jesus is great, but you need a lot more than that if you're going to be okay. You say, no, no, no. Christ is all I need, and I will trust him for today. For his, new, his mercies are new today. I will abide in him. If you're here today and you love Jesus, I would invite you to take some time. We're going to pray. And I would invite you to take some time as we pray, but also today, tomorrow, and in the days to come as we close out this year and we start a new one. Will you reflect and just thank God for all that you have and all that you've been given, not just or even primarily materially or physically, but spiritually and eternally, all that you have and all that you've been given because of what Christ has done? Will you ask him, Lord, help me to be grateful? Help me to be stable and steadfast. Help me to keep trusting you. And will you continue shaping me into the image of your son more in 2024 than in 2023? And if you're here today and you don't know Jesus, if you've never had this relationship with Christ, it is applied to your life. The work is done. There's nothing you need to do, nothing you can do to fix or save yourself. God has come down so that you might be with him. And the work is done. It's applied to your life through faith. Will you turn from your sin today? And will you trust him with your life? As you think about Jesus' birth, recognize he is offering you new birth, rebirth. You don't have to leave here today unchanged. Let's pray together.